Hello Cedarville! Welcome to Season 3, Episode 13 of the Cedarville Stories Podcast. Today on the show, Mark Weinstein will be interviewing John Hart, the General Counsel for the University. Listen as he shares about being a twin, his salvation story, and his life at Cedarville. Welcome back to the first episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast for the 2021 academic year. I'm Mark Weinstein, your host, and I hope you enjoyed our September to Remember mini-sode podcast and reliving the inspiring stories of Mike DeKirchie, Dr. Angie Mickle, Rachel Hartley, Dr. Pam Johnson, and Jeff Besty. We sure enjoyed sharing those with you. Today on the podcast, I'm talking with John Hart, General Counsel at Cedarville University since 2012 and a 1981 graduate of Cedarville. John earned his Juris Doctorate degree from the University of Dayton. He and his wife, Sherry, are the parents of three adult children, two of whom graduated from Cedarville. And what most people do not know is that John holds the distinction of being a Kentucky Colonel. We may get into that story a little later in the podcast. John, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on the program. Mark, it's good to be with you. So let's get to the questions because we have a lot of uh, ground to cover. And um, again, I want to thank you for taking time to do this. Um, we're recording this uh, in early September. Um, but as I um, researched more about John Hart, uh, I think you're the first twin that I've ever interviewed. Okay. So I wanted to know from the get-go, um, first of all, your, your brother... Your twin brother's name is James, is that correct? That's right. So from your perspective, what are the blessings of having a twin brother? So uh, that is different now than what it was, right? So growing up as a twin, he was the oldest. Uh, he was older than me by five minutes. And then we had three younger brothers. Uh, so it was a family of five boys growing up, uh, a little bit far from town. That had to be a wild, wild house. My mom says we were perfect children, and um, and you've met my mom, and you know she's a saint. So Chris is wonderful. <laughs> we probably helped make her that way, but uh, yeah, it's uh, you know we've had very different interests growing up, uh, and so that would say that we weren't competing with each other either for attention or for any or even in the same uh, activities and the like. So uh, we actually became closer when we both went away to different schools. But, but what you just said could be said for any sibling. So um, is, is there a specific blessing or two that you can cite that comes from having a twin? Now, and is he an identical twin? Fraternal twin. Um, one of us is much better looking than the other. And uh, he also has very gray hair, and I don't. So he's convinced I color, and I don't, again, for the record. But um, no, I... You know, I would say it's not just because of being a twin. I think we're close now because we both know that we have um, a Heavenly Father that really guides and leads us. And so we have that spiritual connection. We both have served in elder ministries at different churches. So we have that commonality of experience. Uh, but since we weren't identical, we couldn't get, get away with trips of twins in school. That would have been fun. But we did. Um, yeah, we had fun anyway. It would have been fun to be identical and get away with it, but yeah. And I know, knowing you, you would have tried. So let's 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 go into that a little bit. Um, along with the blessings, I know um, come interesting experiences. So two incidents that I, I learned about that when you and James got into trouble um, one time, James covered for you, 
and took the spanking from your dad, I believe, that you really deserve. No, no, um, no, no. I don't know what you... But the, 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 the irony of this, the irony of the story is that later on, your conscience got your better half, and you confessed to your dad, and you got a spanking, too. Do you remember that? I don't remember that at all. I would encourage you to check your sources. I will tell you the one spanking incident. My dad was a firm believer in spare the rod, spoil the child. And so he had Bible verses written on the uh, paddle that he used. And there was one time when we were acting up together, and maybe this is what Jim's referring to if he's your source, I don't know. But, uh, and dad's at the table and he said, all right, you guys, you're not listening, you're not obeying, you're up. Uh, so I'm gonna have you each spank each other. So, uh, you know, Jim being the oldest took the paddle. <laughs> I bent over and he gave me a swap, but it was just a light little tap, you know, nothing. Right. And my, and then hand the panel to me and expecting the same treatment. My dad said, look, if you don't do it right, I'll come over and do it right. And so I reared back. I gave that full baseball swing <laughs> even now. And I'm, man, I hit it hard and he's bawling and crying and saying, it's so unfair, so unfair. And as I recall now, my dad was, doing his best to restrain himself from laughing because it was just so obvious the injustice of it all. Now that may be the time he's talking about taking the spanking, but that was only because I was doing what my dad told me. No, that, that's not the time. Cause I heard about that incident as well. Okay. <laughs> but uh, actually Jim did say that uh, one time he covered for you, but you felt so guilty that that's... you confess and then you both got the spankings. But then he also shared another time. Um, and this speaks to really your heart even today. Um, that is when you and, and Jim shared the gospel with a neighbor boy who accepted uh, Jesus as Savior. And as you were leading this neighbor to through the sinner's prayer, um, it was so long that by the time you said amen, the neighbor was gone. W what happened there? Jim Jim Bain. I remember his name. That's ironic. That's, um, boy, I had forgotten that memory. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know that I'd ever go back and look at, you know, the length of prayer as being a measure of spirituality. We lawyers write briefs and call them, you know, but they're 10,000 word documents. So, um, but it was good. We were trained early on, had a good heritage, uh, Christian parents, Christian upbringing uh, that encouraged gospel sharing. Uh, we weren't, didn't have many neighbors where we lived. So it was, uh, it was an early on effort. So, that, that early upbringing um, in the faith really has served you well even to this day. Would you cite back to that as a, a foundational moment for you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I was put in positions where God's word was preached or, and then lived out both. Um, and, you know, so I accepted Christ at age five at Daily Vacation Bible School, VBS, um, did it one night and went forward the next night thinking I still needed to do it, you know, so I didn't, and they explained, no, once, uh, you know, you make that decision, that's God's got you. But, uh, and he's kept me ever since. And there was a time later in life, Mark, uh, later in life in, in my youth, when I questioned that because a speaker at camp said, boy, if you can't remember the exact day, then you might not be saved. And I went and talked to my pastor and he said, that's not it. Yeah, if you remember the moment and you remember yielding your life to Christ, that was it. And so I've not really had that doubt of that salvation. And that's so much of that came about as a result of the godly influences of my parents and uh, 
and, and the upbringing that they put me in, whether it was church or whether it was Christian school from kindergarten to ninth grade or, uh, and then public high schools, two different ones in New York and then in Florida and then here to college, Cedarville. So back when it was so, college. Uh, right. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about your, your spiritual, spiritual journey and some influences in your life. But how, um, since you've started the, the conversation down this path, how was your time at Cedarville in terms of uh, nurturing your um, relatively young Christian life? Yeah, so I was young in the sense of being uh, 18. I was, you know, had been a Christian life uh, all my upbringing years, right? So in that respect, Cedarville was a furthering of, of that ministry. My dad wrote me a note handwritten note when I came to Cedarville during my freshman year. And I came sight unseen, Mark. So, you know, I did visit the campus. I came up from the saltwater of the Gulf and saltwater of Long Island Sound to come to Cedar Lake. Wow. <laughs> and the campus. And I missed the sailing. But all that to say is I came up sight unseen. My dad drops me up and then he writes me a letter and he says, I still have this. I no longer have compulsion. I thought that was an interesting word, but I no longer have compulsion over you except in our own house. And uh, it was kind of like a launching note, you know, to say, hey, you're free to make your own decisions. And I had to make that decision. Uh, is this my own faith? Or is, or is this just my parents' faith? I was thankful for a place. I tell people this all the time. I'm thankful for a place like Cedarville then that allowed me to make the search intellectually, honestly, emotionally, all the rest. Um, in an environment where there were people around who would help guide that search. And it wasn't that I was a big rebellion aspect of it. I didn't really have that challenge, but I wanted to know why do I believe what I believe and, and is it true and real? And Cedarville was a great place for that to happen, for me to have that questioning. And, and you know, maybe we'll just talk about those people who helped influence that shape, shaping of that decision. Yeah, thanks. We will. We, we will get in. I want to transition briefly to your career as a lawyer, yeah, um, law- lawyers get bad raps, uh, maybe, maybe bad raps. Um, but your professional life has been devoted to law and higher education. How did becoming a lawyer become an interest to you? Where did that in- fascination come? What did your dad do? Yeah, no, my dad was a uh, human resources director for a shipbuilding company, and then a furniture making company, a shipbuilding company, big built big ships and sailboats, and then uh, a nursing home administrator. So it wasn't the legal background. He had political interests, uh, perhaps in terms of conservative interests, but not nothing legal in that. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, when I was graduating from high school, Mark, uh, my parents gave me a gavel as a gift. I still, it's in my office today, uh, right near the putter that I have in the office. And I, uh, it has a Bible verse, my life verse inscribed on it. So in high school, I thought I'd like to maybe pursue law just because of the interests I had of uh, justice and trying to do good and the interest in advocacy and uh, communication. But I wasn't for sure. I thought maybe it was going to be teaching or coaching um, as, as well. And so I took some of those courses in college. But that interest in law really got honed when I was traveling for the university, um, college again back then. Um, as their admissions rep. And back then there were just two of us. And um, when I graduated from Cedarville in 81, I was 
traveling on the road and seeing a lot of churches or schools as I was recruiting there who were involved in legal situations, who would have to go to a lawyer and say, pay me a fee and I'll believe in the value of what you were doing. And I was somebody who already believed in that because I was a product of Christian education, kindergarten, ninth grade, and then college. And I thought there was a great value add to that. And so I thought here would be a great opportunity to combine the interest in law and the pursuit of that and represent interest ministries that were doing something really valuable, I thought. And I could relate to my mom had been a teacher. My dad was involved in education aspects uh, growing up as well. So I, uh, that's where I really honed that interest and went to law school with that idea in mind of practicing in the area of private religious school law. I, I thought that meant uh, being a lawyer in a large firm, kind of like a William Ball or a David Gibbs Sr. or others who represented a lot of number of church schools. And I clerked at firms in Florida, but maybe this is too far into the story. But when I graduated uh, from college and then went on to law school um, and graduated from law school, the position opened up at the University of Dayton for me to step into their first full-time counsel role. I had clerked for one of the vice presidents. So you were the first lead counsel at, at UD? Yes. Now, the vice president uh, was in law school a year ahead of me. He was much more senior, but he was just adding that to his many degrees. And and so he had wanted a law clerk, and the law school knew of my interest in education law. And I went up and interviewed, got the job, and that was for two years. And then he uh, left the same month I was graduating. And knowing that was coming up, I um, they were concerned that we're not sure there's enough work for a lawyer to be in-house, but we'll keep you around because nobody knows what's in the files but you. And they kept me around and ended up uh, staying on, become their first full-time in-house general counsel and served there for 27 years. So you're at UD 27. Actually, you lead me into my, my next question. So you, 27 years at UD, you've been the lead, uh, the general counsel at Cedarville now for eight um, from from your vantage point, how has your legal guidance been used to help shape the mission of those two institutions, University of Dayton and Cedarville? Yeah, you know, so the law treats them pretty similarly as private faith-based institutions, University of Dayton being Catholic uh, and, and Cedarville uh, being Baptist in its uh, doctrine and, and, and approach. So but the law will treat them similarly in, in terms of the application in many other instances. They may have a stronger sense of uh, certain standards or charism and, and the like, but it's evident both legally. And so how my practice facilitated others in the institution being able to fulfill their callings, their giftings, uh, their approaches by protecting their rights to do so and helping explain how different laws or regulations uh, would either prohibit certain activities or permit and, frankly, uh, promote certain activities, whether it's in the hiring and the employment aspects, whether it's in what student organizations get recognized, whether it's how you even deal with property transfers and the types of restrictions or deed restrictions you might put on them that would not permit properties or to be used for nefarious purposes or purposes that were contrary to the mission of the institution. So the wide variety of the legal practice, uh, it really was not so much a general practice or a specialized area of practice as it was a general practice of law with a specialized client. Like I just mentioned constitutional law, property law, 
contract employment law, all those things get filtered through that uh, educational private religious prison. So in, in this role that you have, you have the opportunity to be like a, uh, a generalist in the law profession. So you get to, you get to dabble in various aspects, which I would think would keep uh, you fresh and excited because it gives you new opportunities every day. Yeah, so the general counsel part of that, that's really true. It's a wide variety. Um, there, you know, the frustrating thing is you don't get to do the same thing over and over again where you can almost do it in your sleep. You know, after 35 years, I would hope there's a little less of a learning curve on some areas or, you know, that body of experience would allow some informed advice to be given more quickly. But uh, the variety is part of what is the spice of this life in general counsel. Right. Yeah, I, I knowing you as well as I do, I think if you had to do the same thing over and over again. You said um, that you could do it in your sleep. I think it would put you to sleep if you had to do the same thing over and over again. And I want to say this uh, before I move to the next question. You know, as I've watched you the last eight years, um, you are you are a master with words. You work well with people. You're not the stereotypical lawyer, I may say, uh, that I've worked with at least uh, in my 30 years in higher education where um, you're approachable, um, you counsel well, and uh, you just work well with people. So I want to thank you for your service the last eight years, specifically at Cedarville University in as uh, uh, general counsel. So thanks, John. Mark, I, I really um, appreciate that. Thank you. I mean, the joke is 99% of lawyers give the rest of us a bad name, you know. And uh, But the reality is most view lawyers as people who are saying no, and I have an approach of trying to get us to yes in a, in a way right. to facilitate what others want to do. It's my client. So, yeah, people matter. The relationships matter. And the fact that that's been meaningful or at least observable to you is I'm, I'm appreciative of the opportunity to serve that way. That's great. So earlier in the podcast, you mentioned you grew up um, or referenced Long Island. So you're originally from Long Island, New York, but found your way to Cedarville, sight unseen in the, in the late 1970s. Um, What's the backstory that led you to Cedarville University? Yeah, there's actually a current connection and a prior one. So I met, referenced that, in fact, went to a Christian school who had like 15 in my ninth grade class, you know, small Christian school, Huntington Christian School in Long Island. Other employees went there. I think you may know him, Kim Jenneret. He was a... Uh, oh, he was a classmate of yours? Not a classmate. He was a little... He's a little younger than me. The Reverend KJ is a... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> is was behind me in that school but <clears throat> anyway small school i had a junior high teacher ruth rodriguez at the time ruth spring she and her husband graduated from here she was somebody who lived out her faith and she was my spanish and history teacher but she lived out her faith it wasn't just a sunday thing and then we had a sword bearers team come to cedarville and we played softball against them i remember that time including on that team was a guy named Dan Estes. Really? Yeah, and he played on that team. We connected about that. So he's still here. You know, it's kind of a neat uh, story in, in that way as well. But their testimony, you know, back then we didn't have the internet. That's how old I am. So we relied on publications. And I, frankly, I just looked at the uh, publication, the guidebook that Cedarville put out at the time and the way they had structured their social science program uh, the five areas of emphasis and Murray Murdoch uh, still I'm sitting behind a desk that he used uh, during his time. So clearly an icon, he was influential, but um, 
the way they described who they were and what they stood for, albeit much smaller then than they are now, right. uh, really attracted me. And so I was Coast Guard Academy was going to be number three on my list. And, uh, cause I love saltwater and sailing and I love anything to do with that. But, uh, yeah, I, Lord just led me to Cedarville and I applied from a distance, got accepted from a distance mm. and drove up from Florida with my dad to, uh, Right. Show up for the first day of class. I'm, I'm glad you did. And we'll, in a little bit, we'll, we'll dive into a little more of your personal story, because this is where you met your wife at Cedarville, correct? It is. But before I get there, uh, your mom told me indirectly. <laughs> that You called my mom? No, no, I didn't. I said indirectly. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, indirectly. That you've always had a flair for the dramatic. As early as kindergarten, you've always liked uh, drama and stuff like that. Where did your love for theater come come from, and how did you develop it as a youth and a college student? Uh, so that is true. I've had that flair for the performance, for the role playing, for uh, the ability to make dramatic orations, perhaps. But um, yeah, no kindergarten play, and when my uh, when my it was the uh, the Miller and the Hen and grinding the bread and the other person said the wrong line in front of the whole audience of parents. I corrected the line. So even back then I was standing up for truth, right. And justice. And <laughs> my parents quickly corrected me on the way home that that was not the appropriate way to uh, represent. And so, um, yeah, no, I did because small school, I got a chance to do a lot of plays, a lot of athletics, those kind of things. And uh, that flair for the drama just continued so much so that actually here at Cedarville, uh, on, when I graduated but was working for them, I auditioned for the play The Rainmaker. That was my last major production at Cedarville and, um, in Alfred's stage, which was kind of cool because having acted in that play, um, I think they were typecasting because the original movie play was Burt Lancaster. And I think they were just looking for that lookalike or type. But the, I, could, I yeah. could see that, yes. <laughs> heavy, I, don't, I don't have my glasses on right now, but I can see that. Well, the, the Zoom fade is uh, different, but what was really cool, Mark, just as a sidebar about that is my daughter, Madison, that I'll make sure we get to, you know, she acted on that same stage in Alford, you know, 40 years after I had acted on it. That's just kind of a cool connection story as well. So you talk about Madison, uh, Savannah, they both have um, flair for um, the arts in a certain way. One, one more performance than the other, but they probably got that from you, I take it. Well, um, certainly the interest. I think the talent they get from Sherry, but uh, the interest they get from me, you know, and all three of our kids. So my son, Jordan, you know, musician, um, not professionally, but he, uh, you know, has written songs and he used to play in a band and that type of thing. So he had the music uh, degree. And then Madison, who's the actress, and, uh, you know, in Colorado, Montana, New York, Queens, all that Shakespearean actress in here major and uh, and then savannah the artist uh, who is you know the sculptor painter um, in working with the soldier ministry in louisville so yeah there's a lot of drama with my kids but mostly the good kind uh it is it's fun to watch uh, you interact with your your daughters and your son and obviously sherry but we we talked yeah. about it earlier about uh, having people of influence in our lives um can you can you point to a person yeah. or two who really helped shape you who you are from a professional manner, a personal manner, and a spiritual manner? Well, that list is long uh, because a lot of people uh, poured into my life or even unknowingly exampled 
uh, Christ and modeled Christ in a way that was challenging for me and uh, winsome to me. It's, uh, I think of people here at Cedarville, so let's, let's use that connection. And Dr. Dwayne Frank, uh, he used to teach in education here for the audience members who don't know, and he was a longtime staff member, you know, faculty here rather, and he and his wife Joanne and uh, their three daughters, they opened up their house to me as a home away from home, and uh, it, it was, he was one of the most humble men I know, humble servant men I know, and, uh, but he would live out his love for the Lord uh, in almost every conversation I had. And so that was very influential to me. I mentioned reference Murray Murdoch, who, as my advisor, helped continue to shape my interest in things politic as well as legal. Uh, you know, before that, I had, like I said, Ruth Rodriguez as a junior high teacher, Jim Fairman as a junior high music uh, teacher. These men and women modeled Christ, and that spoke more than just those who would talk at me. They lived it. And, and I, uh, that, that was great shaping influences. And even now, um, you know, there, there are people who are uh, either I'm in accountability with or that I'm just great friends with who I see manage different situations in their life in, with a grace or with an approach that I, I, I really greatly appreciate. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my parents. You know, um, they sacrificed a lot to allow me to be able to get into Christian education and uh, and the rest and my and then to live it out. And my mom, who you do know, uh, you know, she's a Stephen minister in Florida. As, serves as a chaplain role at a hospital. Still volunteers. She's eighty five, I think, and uh, still um, you know challenged about being able to walk because of the hard knees. But her heart and her spirit are just so strong and loving the Lord, and she's active in uh, ministry in 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 ways that are just humbling and inspiring. So yeah, I've had those types of influences. Yeah, you have good influence. And I, I do know your mom. I do enjoy it when uh, she gets up here to Cedarville and I get the opportunity to say hi. And uh, uh, she's a special lady. So the, the podcast, as you know, uh, John, we try to intersect uh, our faith with our profession. So um, how are you able to intersect your faith in Jesus with your role as a legal counsel at, at the university? You know, there's, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to be a lawyer on you for just a minute, but this is a long-winded answer. Sam Erickson, who used to be the head of the Christian Legal Society, was also a lawyer for uh, Van Nuys Community Church, or argued that church out in the McNally case out in California a long time ago. But at the time when I was a student at Cedarville and then traveling for Cedarville, uh, he was the head of Christian League Society. I had a chance to meet him, interact with him a couple times. He was one who really reinforced the idea or the concept that says uh, there's not a dichotomy between the secular and the sacred. You know, every everywhere is God's, and even even in that the uh, and especially in the legal profession. And he was. I remember him saying, "We need Christians who are competent to counsel as lawyers." not just people who pray before a case, but who really allow that sense of justice and that sense of what's good and right uh, to influence their, their practice and their approach to not only the, the law, but to their clients. Clearly, I've chosen a profession that allowed that to maybe be more apparent and obvious in terms of private religious education and what can I do to promote those values. But there's still challenges in how we interact with uh, members of the profession or other, other sides, other clients. And I would say there have been two or three really uh, 
very obvious situations where we were able to engage in a case in the matter, both at university, but especially here at Cedarville, which is where you're asking, where the lawyer on the other side was not a believer and or the client, you know, maybe on the other side wasn't and have opportunities to go advocate and represent in a way that would be God honoring, still professionally, still uh, hopefully in, in competently, but still God honoring in a way that would say, here's why we're different, but here's why that's okay. Or here's why we are taking this approach, caring. And not, I'm not saying we did it always right and always as well as we can, but that's been my goal. And I know that I've shared with you, I think, one or two stories where are actually people who have interacted and intersected with us have uh, said afterwards, one actually uh, gave credit to her family coming to God or changing into their faith and uh, changing from uh, one denomination to another, but saying we need to be serious about our faith in God as a result of their visits on campus. That's one thing I do, Mark. I require every lawyer who represents us uh, to come visit us on campus, sit through a chapel, give them a tour of the place. I want them to understand why what they might otherwise view as this little cult in the cornfield is actually a place where they hope to have impact and difference. Just a month ago, a month and a half ago, I had the law firm. And I say to outside firms, I said, you know, it's unfortunate sometimes that your exposure to Cedarville is in the midst of a a case or a controversy. But they commented on the fact that uh, they appreciated the fact that Cedarville seems like, and I'm quoting them, a special place that has a strong sense of mission that is clearly going to have a serious impact in the world. That's from non-believers, as far as I know, you know, saying, recognizing that there's an approach taken or principles taken. That's really uh, encouraging to my heart when we can get through a difficult case, disagree on uh, even outcomes or results, but get resolution uh, in a way that hopefully is honoring. Again, not perfectly every time, but more often than not. Yeah, that's why we do what we do, whether it's uh, a lawyer, whether it's public relations, whether it's teaching. You know, we want um, our work to be done in an excellent way so that Christ is, is seen and that they can see a difference between how we, how we operate, how we think, how we live. So I thank you for sharing that. Yeah, Mark, I think, you know, we talk about what we do, but also how we do it. How we do it. something much, much more important. But there is some of the what. You know, we, I, the last couple of years in terms of religious liberty issues, and you think about our ability to have pursued uh, the appropriate exemptions under Title IX for us to be able to, you know, stay true to our faith or to work with um, State Department of Education to figure out how we can teach certain courses and still have them recognized and accredited, even though we understand, uh, you know, that our, our perspectives on history or on biology or on other aspects are, uh, you know, tied into our faith and to be able to protect that in light of the law of the land and the constitution um, advocate for those. Th- those are ways in which faith and practice get integrated. Right. I should have realized when I was putting together the questions that I was going to be talking with a lawyer who's typically long winded. <laughs> so we're, we're early out of time, but what? I want to ask two more. I want to ask two more questions. How have you and your family been able to deal with the coronavirus pandemic? Yeah, differently. Right. Um, yeah. So Sherry and I, the, my wife, who you know, I met after I graduated from Seattle, that we were good friends first here. So here's the long-winded answer. But she has been a great life companion, my best friend. It's funny how even, uh, you know, 35 years of marriage and how we are 
still different in our approaches to certain situations. Frankly, I think this impacted her more than me. She lost the connection points that she had. I just moved where I was connecting from campus to off campus. And, and so the, the, those have been challenges. But we have a daughter, Madison, and her husband, Jordan, who are actors in Brooklyn, high risk area. They've all, you know, they lost all their jobs. That's one aspect. Uh, our daughter, Savannah, who's with the Sojourn Art Ministry in Louisville, another high risk area, both in terms of COVID as well as other uh, offshoots of protests and riots and the like. And then our son, Jordan, and his wife, uh, Bella, who are, you know, with Bella Realty Group and his media group in uh, Bellbrook here, so close by. Our interactions, our abilities to connect with them, um, you know, all had impact. So it had to place an emphasis on how do we connect. My last question, just because we're out of time, and I like asking uh, my guests this anyways, is what is the Lord teaching you right now? As you study his word, as you work, as you live, what's he teaching you right now? God is good, period, right? And even in the midst of whatever we're being challenged with or faced with, um, he's still good. Um, these have been weighty times uh, this year in particular. Uh, on a number of personal but professional levels as well. It reflects uh, personal situations. I was just talking with a group uh, of other guys uh, earlier today about uh, relate how we have gone through different situations in our life uh, as a married couple and as family with uh, needing to pray because we didn't understand what God was doing and why. We're going through that Red Sea Rules book, and that's just where, where God leads us through. Uh, or leads us into, will lead us out of as well. And so it's that trust, that trust factor. I gave a message, Mark, when I was a student here at Cedarville in the chapel program, and it was uh, trust is totally relying upon sovereign truths. I think that's still true. Um, we've got to do that. And God's teaching me to rely on him for what I don't see about the future, to know that he's got it. He's, he's Jim Louis Giglio has this uh, uh, video that it, talk that he talks about how about laminin you know how god's got us and and uh, so i like to think of myself as a laminin lawyer you know and that god's got uh, me and he's got every situation i'm involved with uh, family and uh, professionally and otherwise and my friends like you uh, he's got us he does and it's it's a um it's a great uh, way to release our our fears and our stress and our tensions to the one who has everything and uh we know we can trust him. John, we're out of time, but I thank you for spending time with me today on the podcast. Uh, more importantly, uh, for your work at Cedarville, all your friendship, and uh, I pray that you continue to stay the course and uh, continue to do great things for the kingdom here at Cedarville. Thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.